Welcome to Kids Considered, where two pediatricians discuss children's health topics of interest to parents in a podcast with new subjects considered every episode. I'm Dr. Lena Vanderlist. And I'm Dr. Dean Blumberg. And we're both pediatricians at UC Davis Children's Hospital in Sacramento, California. Let's hear about this episode's topic. Hi, this is Natasha. I'm a mother of two kids, aged four and seven, and I've been trying to figure out the best way to discipline my kids. I've been using the timeout method, but I'm not exactly sure if it's effective. I've heard in the past that you should do one minute of timeout for each year um, of the child's age. So if they're three years old, a three-minute timeout. But for my seven-year-old, a seven-minute timeout seems like it may be too long. I'm also not exactly sure if it's working. I was just wondering if you have any tips on other ways to discipline or how to make timeouts more effective. Thank you. Wow. Seven minutes does seem kind of like a long time if you're just like sitting there in a timeout, right? Right, right. And we will get into this. This is really common. One of the more challenging parts of parenting. Really challenging. Yeah. Yeah. We think about timeouts, repeating no over and over and over, Mm -hmm. taking privileges away, grounding spanking. Mm -hmm. Parents and caregivers choose to discipline their kids in a lot of different ways. And a lot of it has to do with learning from examples, so how they were disciplined when the parents were kids. Definitely. But we know some methods of discipline or strategies to modify unwanted behavior are more effective than others. And for kids of different ages and developmental stages, different discipline strategies may work better. All of these have the end goal of extinguishing the behaviors that you disapprove of and increasing the desired behaviors. Right. So we touched on this a little bit in our tantrums episode, and I'm glad that we're taking a more in-depth look into discipline today. Right. We're going to talk about strategies for each age group and what the research shows is the most effective way to modify unwanted behavior. And also talk about why the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends against spanking or other forms of physical punishment. So do you know where the word discipline comes from? Hmm. I don't know. I don't think so. So it comes from the Latin word disciplinaire which means to teach, like if someone is studying an area, they are being taught, and then they are referred to as a disciple. Yeah, yeah, like a disciple. Yeah, so we often treat discipline as a negative, but, you know, there's positive value in teaching. That's what it is. We're trying to achieve a positive outcome. Right. Parents are trying to teach a lesson, usually. So Mm -hmm. let's get into it and discuss what to do for each age group, starting with little ones. Like newborns? No, no discipline for newborns. All newborn bad behavior, such as crying, fussing, is just their way of communicating their basic needs. So a parent should never try and punish this behavior. If you are worried about specific behaviors in newborns, please reach out to your pediatrician. Right. So these are not, quote, bad, unquote, behaviors. If you find yourself constantly upset by these normal newborn behaviors, it may be worth looking inward. Right. So we talked a lot about warning signs of postpartum depression or baby blues and how commonly it occurs in our podcast on that subject. So if you're feeling real agitated or overwhelmed, that is one thing to also consider. Okay, so not newborn. We're going to move on to toddlers. Right. A very complicated age. Mm -hmm. Toddlers are starting to experience many new feelings like frustration, envy, but they don't have the tools to process and explain what they feel. So it causes them to act out. 
Right, and so this can lead to meltdowns, and we really need to help the child label these emotions and teach them appropriate ways to react because this can be helpful, and then potentially avoid future similar behaviors or outbursts. Right. So if your toddler always has a tantrum when they have to come in from playing, you can say something like, "I can tell you're very disappointed. It's time to come inside," and then you want to give them a way to express their feelings that's not a negative behavior. So if you're feeling really angry, you can squeeze your teddy bear really. Tight.、Mm-hmm. So that makes sense. That way, it not only teaches them to label the feeling, but it provides an appropriate behavior, an outlet that's not throwing a tantrum.、Mm-hmm. And also remember that you can help with transitions by providing toddlers with warnings and timeframes about what to expect next. For more about strategies for this, check out our podcast on tantrums. So this is also the age that they start to realize that they can elicit a reaction from you when they're being naughty and. Toddlers love getting any type of reaction、uh-huh. from you as a parent, right? Whether it's positive or negative. So, for example, this is a common one. They're always dropping their food off of their high chair and looking at you for a reaction.、Uh-huh. This can be really frustrating and messy. And messy. <laughs> But the best way to extinguish behavior is to actually ignore these negative behaviors that you don't like and praise the good behaviors. So, don't make a big fuss when they throw their food on the floor. Just clean it up and say, "Okay, I guess we're done.、Mm-hmm. We're all finished now." So it can be hard, but you have to be patient with、mm-hmm. that. Yeah. So this is the also the age that、um, children may start biting others. Ooh, yeah. This is a really big problem for parents and negative behavior that often leads to things like getting in trouble in daycare.、Mm-hmm. Biting is extremely common in this age group. So it's important for parents to remember that the child is usually not doing this to try and hurt the other person. It's typically the result of frustration because they lack the verbal skills to talk about what's bothering them. For example, they could be overstimulated or overtired. Yeah. So if your kid is into biting,、um, if possible, you want to intervene in the moment by firmly saying, "No biting. Biting hurts." And then you want to change your attention from being on the child to the child that was bit. So you would say something like,、um, "If your kid bit, let's say Johnny on the playground, you would say, 'Look, Johnny's crying. Johnny's crying because you bit him, and biting hurts.' So once the attention is shifted, even if it's negative attention off them towards the other person, it's more likely to extinguish the behavior over time." And never ever bite the child back just to you know show them that it hurts because this just reinforces that it's okay to hurt those that you love and will likely increase the behavior. Right in this age, although it can be difficult, try to limit the word no to dangerous situations. Instead, try telling the toddler what behavior you want from them instead of the one that you don't want. So instead of saying no running, say walk please. Um, at this age is when you should start establishing consistent house rules. Right. So let's talk about discipline for preschool age children, three to five year olds. At this age, you can experiment with allowing them to make choices about their negative behaviors. So, for example, let's say you're going to the park and it's cold outside, and you want them to put on a coat, but they don't want to put on a coat. So one choice might be you can either put on your coat and we will go to the park. Or we can stay home where it's warm and read a book instead. So we're encouraging these discussions and making sure children have choices, and then we can talk about it if they're angry or they have frustrated feelings. And this is also the age that if a child、um, does not have the desired behavior, then we can start instituting the timeouts. 
All right, so since this is the first time we're bringing up timeouts, it deserves a little bit more unpacking since it's such a common form of discipline. Mm-hmm. So a timeout is when your child is removed from the location of the misbehavior to reflect on it and also removed from the positive or negative attention that's usually provided by the parent mm-hmm. at that time. This should not be used for all undesirable behaviors. For instance, sometimes ignoring or redirecting the behavior is more effective. Mm -hmm. But it should be used in some instances. So times that it could be useful are if your child does something dangerous, Mm -hmm. if they hurt another person, break a family rule, or don't follow directions after you give them a warning. So the warning is important. It needs to be stated in a clear, simple, neutral tone. And it's important that you always follow through after the warning if the desired behavior is not achieved so that you have some consistency with this. Right. So let's talk through an example. You say, Susie, it's time to pick up toys before dinner. And then you wait a few minutes. And if she doesn't start picking up her toys, you say, if you don't start to put away your toys in 10 seconds, then you will have to go to timeout. So this is the warning. So there's a warning. The kid knows what to expect. And if Susie starts to pick up her toys, say thank you so much for listening. So you praise her for the desired behavior. And if she still ignores you and doesn't start picking up the toys, then make it explicit. You did not pick up your toys, so you have to go to timeout. So you're always praising the desired behavior, but you follow through on the timeout if they don't listen. Right. And research actually shows that three minutes appears to be the magic number for length of time for timeout for most kids. So this is different than a lot of things you may see on the internet, which, like Natasha said in the beginning, is maybe one minute per year of age. So three minutes actually seems to be the most effective time for timeout. It's long enough to be a negative experience for the child, but not too long that it has a diminishing effect. Mm-hmm. Some kids do really well with having like a timer so that they can see their amount of time go by. It helps the time go by. (laughs) (laughs) Right, Uh watch the time go by. Mm -hmm. With older kids, sometimes you can try letting them lead their own timeout. So you can say, it's time to go to the timeout chair and come back when you feel ready and in control. This will not work for all kids. So it's something that um, you can try for your individual child if you feel like this strategy could work for them. Okay, let's talk about um, the location of the timeout. So while in timeout, your child should be away from all things that are fun to them, but still in a safe environment. So many people choose to use a timeout chair, sometimes at the end of a hallway. Never turn the lights off or make it into a scary experience. It should be a predictable routine for the child and safe. And many parents even set family rules and practice timeouts when the kids are not in trouble, just so they know what to expect if it does happen. Yeah, I really like this idea of practicing it so that it's not the first time they're not like just totally overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. So timeouts can be an effective mode of discipline if they're consistent for specific behaviors. Another resource for parents on implementing timeouts in your home is a program called 123 Magic. It teaches caregivers about implementing timeouts for kids 2 through 12 years of age. They have like a book and a DVD. You might be able to rent it at your local library. We have no affiliation with the program, but many parents, including some of our own pediatricians, have found this program helpful. So we will include some links in detail about implementing timeouts and the information for the 123 Magic program in our website. 
So for elementary age children, they have more of a sense of right and wrong. Um, so outlining family expectations and predetermined reasonable consequences for not following through with them is great. Once again, um, you need to be consistent with these consequences. But remember, you never want to take anything away from your child that they truly need, such as like a meal or shelter. So you never want to say like, you go stand outside in the cold or mm -hmm. you're not getting dinner tonight. Those are not reasonable. Right. Those aren't negotiable. Mm -hmm. Right. And you can also consider allowing more privileges as a reward for the desired behavior at this age. Mm -hmm. So we've talked about this a few times. So how reinforcing desired behavior or catching them being good, as some people call it, is is more effective than discipline. So um, when I was preparing for this episode, I started thinking about incentives or bribing kids mm -hmm. for doing certain things, mm -hmm. sort of a reinforcement. Yeah. So what about bribery? I was specifically thinking about it because we have a couple close friends whose kid there is in the middle of potty training mm -hmm. and was wedding, you know, having accidents at daycare basically every day. And they were like, how can we get rid of this? And it, all it took was them giving him saying like, on days that you're dry, you get a special gummy after daycare. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, sure enough, he stopped having accidents. And the same thing, I was a big thumb sucker as a kid. Mm -hmm. And my dad said the only thing that got me to stop sucking my thumb was like, he bought me a present every day for a week or something and that uh -huh. completely extinguished the behavior so i thought there could be something to this that we should look into so that's the positive instead of the negative thing with thumb sucking which is painting on that bitter stuff so i i don't know you know if i would call that bribing it sounds like a reward for good behavior um it's an incentive it's like um a sticker chart positive reinforcement what more did you learn about bribery and rewards? I mean, does it, I mean, you mentioned anecdotally it works, but is there any kind of research into that? One study I saw used incentives or like a token economy to motivate kids to eat healthier. So something we've talked about. So they offered kids a 25 cent token if they chose like the healthy snack versus an unhealthy snack that they could use to shop around at the school. And they showed that just this offering of this token doubled the percentage of kids that would eat at least one serving of fruits or vegetables, and it was sustained. So even after they stopped that, the behavior change lasted. Interesting. So that argues that it potentially could work. Mm -hmm. So I can see how this would work um, sometimes, but you know, another argument is that kids should not be rewarded for doing something that they should be that they you know should be doing in the first place, right? So something we see all the time at the doctor's office is if a child is misbehaving, the parent will say, you know, if you stop throwing a fit, then we'll go out for ice cream afterwards. And then doesn't the child learn that they can sort of use their behavior to hold their parents hostage to get what they want? Right. And this is the same we talked about not using like dessert as the motivation to eat your meal right. in a prior episode. And so you definitely don't want to use this all the time. And you have to think about when an incentive system is, is going to work. Um, and so what it seems like is maybe for extinguishing one specific habit or with potty training, that um, using these sparingly can be okay, but you definitely don't want to generalize it to all behaviors. So it's one tool in the toolkit. One not, tool in the toolkit. Yeah. Okay. So that brings us to our last group of older kids, teenagers. And really, this can be a really challenging group in terms of discipline, right? <laughs> You're right with some of our strategies that we've talked about, because some of these techniques 
on younger kids are just not going to work, right? You're not going to say, go sit in that chair at the end of the hallway. <laughs> right. They're going to be like, um, no. Uh-huh. But what I love about them is that usually you can reason with them. Okay, so reasoning with teenagers. <laughs> Tell me about that. <laughs> so at this age, they can have a seat at the table when it comes to choosing their own house rules and the associated consequences. Negotiating with your child shows that you respect his or her ideas, and it also helps them learn to compromise when they have to, and that that's just part of decision making. Um, I specifically remember, like, my dad saying what, asking what I thought were appropriate consequences when I missed chores or my curfew. And it's sort of hard to argue with the consequence when you came up with it. Mm-hmm. Although it's hard to imagine you missing any chores or curfew. <laughs> <laughs> it happened, believe it or not. Uh-huh. So again, we're going for praise being more effective than discipline. So always label praise. Thank you so much for washing the dishes tonight. I'm glad you got home before curfew, those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. We cannot talk about discipline in teens and not mention the very nebulous grounding. Oh, right. You're grounded. And so (laughs) usually that seems to be tied to no going out with friends or come directly home after school. It's really nonspecific, and it can be really hard for parents to follow through on, right? Because you're kind of grounding yourself, essentially, when you ground your teens. Right, that has consequences for the whole family, right? (laughs) Right. So many people will recommend more for punishments targeted towards the offending behavior. So if your teen came home past curfew, maybe their curfew is an hour earlier for the next two weekends. Mm -hmm. Or if they got in a fight with somebody at school, maybe they need to do some volunteer work at a soup kitchen the next week. If they break their cell phone, then their allowance is on hold until they have paid for it to be fixed. So how do they pay for it to be fixed if their allowance is on hold? <laughs> well, you're you are withholding their oh, allowance. So I got it. yeah, yeah, yeah. So with more specific punishments, teens will learn the consequences of their actions, which is more effective than just them laying around the house watching TV because they're grounded. So we've covered some of the ways that we as pediatricians would recommend parents consider disciplining their child. How about the types of discipline that parents should avoid? And that brings us to an important discussion regarding corporal punishment. Right. So mostly we're referring to spanking or pinching forms of physical punishment. Because many parents and families do still do this, although it is decreasing. In 2004, 80% of parents reported spanking their kids, but that number has decreased to now less than half of parents. Okay. And the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends against spanking. And the research surrounding this topic backs up this recommendation, and we'll review some of the studies for you today. Brace yourself. There's quite a few of them, but I just want you guys to know that this comes from a place of research. Mm -hmm. So first of all, we know that spanking just doesn't work. So in observational studies, within 10 minutes of physical punishment, over 70% of kids had resumed that same behavior. Right. So not only does spanking fail to extinguish the behavior you're trying to stop, but it can have other lasting consequences. One large study found that families who used physical punishment got caught in negative cycles. So the more children were spanked, the more they later misbehaved, which prompted more spankings. Children who get spanked were also more likely to hit others when they didn't get what they wanted. And another study demonstrated that kids who were spanked had more aggressive symptoms and lower receptive vocabulary scores. So it's almost like they're learning that hitting is okay. Yeah. So another study found that young adults who were spanked repeatedly as children had less gray matter in an area of the brain called the prefrontal cortex. 
And the prefrontal cortex is a part of the brain that's involved with executive functioning, and that means things like self-control, planning for the future, and they also perform lower on IQ tests as young adults than the group that was not spanked. So really, it changes the brain. It changes the brain. Mm-hmm. Another study showed that children who are physically punished had a 29% greater risk of engaging in dating violence when they were older than kids that were not physically punished. And then a different study looked at over 30,000 adults, and it showed that experiences of harsh physical punishment in childhood were associated with an increased risk of mood and anxiety disorders, alcohol and drug abuse, and personality disorders in adulthood. So I hope that touching on those studies convinces you to try other methods of behavior modification before resorting to physical punishment. When I was researching for this episode, I was shocked to find that as of 2018, some of these methods of discipline are still legal in private schools in every U.S. state except for two, New Jersey and Iowa, and even legal in public schools in 19 states, Mm. and that we are the only Western world in the country that this is allowed. I don't think it's utilized very much, but it's something that parents should be aware of. And if they're against it, make sure that you tell your school that this is something that you would never be okay with. Yeah, it's really Because it's your right as a parent. Mm-hmm. So we spent a lot of time talking about the detrimental downstream effects of physical punishment. But it's important to also remember that harsh verbal discipline, calling a child stupid or an idiot if they do poorly on a homework assignment, that's also harmful. And studies have shown that verbal abuse before 13 years of age is associated with symptoms of depression as adults. And we are also aware that there are cultural differences with how you discipline your child. So within certain um, cultural groups or um, different backgrounds, there may be uh, more of a history of using spanking or physical punishment. But really, in the end, we recommend against physical punishment in all of these groups. We hope that the discussion today provided you with some tools on how to effectively discipline as well as insight into why spanking and other forms of physical punishment are falling out of favor. Right. Let's summarize the main points. Effective discipline and behavior modification strategies change as your child grows. Help toddlers label their emotions, ignore and redirect negative behaviors, and this can all help minimize tantrums. For preschool and school-age children, a three-minute timeout may begin to be effective for certain behaviors. Having clear family rules, utilizing a warning system, and having consistent and fair punishments for undesired behaviors, as well as praising desired behaviors, is the best way to optimize behavioral change. And with teens, let them have a role in choosing the consequences of their actions and choose punishments that are related to the negative behavior, and that'll help teach them life lessons. And physical punishment, including spanking, as well as harsh verbal discipline, is not effective, and it can lead to negative behaviors that last throughout a lifetime. And that reminds me of a joke. Interesting way to lead into a joke. It is, yeah. (laughs) How do you discipline a coffee bean? Uh, I don't know. You ground it. Ah, yes. That's a good one, actually. We would like to thank Dr. Don Blacker, a pediatric clinical psychologist at the UC Davis Care Center, for reviewing today's episode. Although Dr. Lena and I take responsibility for any errors or omissions. Were you spanked as a child? I was. I was. And um, 
you know, it was something that we feared. And it wasn't my mother. It was always like, wait till your father gets home, you know? And then we'd hope she'd forget to tell him, right? which she did sometimes. So, so it wasn't always. But that, that phase was very short, as yeah. I recall. But, you know, it's funny how things have changed. When I was in training in Boston, there was this one area that was a little bit rough that we had a clinic in. And I remember a teenager came in. They had a broken arm. And... um so we were, we were treating them for the broken arm. We said, how did this happen? And they said they came home late and their father whacked them with a hockey stick. And we, we thought, oh, okay, whatever. You like, know, that would not be okay and these now, days. now, you know, the, that, that's like not okay, no, right? not okay. But back then, that's like, oh, well, yeah, it's like that's how parents treated their kids. You know? Yeah. It's really my, changed. We were never, ever physically disciplined. My parents were both pacifists, uh-huh. or at least my mother was. And so she kind of like, ruled the discipline uh-huh. aspect of things so even even grounding or something i think i've been ground you know i think i was grounded maybe once uh-huh. throughout my childhood so and although you don't have children you've had some discipline issues with your dog right it's <laughs> <laughs> been my, challenging it's been challenging at my wedding i got married just a couple months ago and my father-in-law in his toast said may your children be better behaved than your dog that's how he ended it so so far i'm not doing doing very well well you know a lot of people you know when they when they're young and you know newly married for example you know you get the dog right it's a kind of a practice for having kids (laughs) oh gosh i gotta work on it that wraps up this episode of kids considered you can find more information on our website kidsconsidered.ucdavis.edu Follow us on Twitter at Kids Considered and Instagram at Kids Considered. If you have feedback on this show or topics you would like us to discuss in the future, we would love to hear from you. Please call us. Our number is 916-915-3388 or email us at kidsconsidered at gmail.com Please rate us on iTunes or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. Thank you for listening and we hope you will join us for our next podcast. Kids Considered is sponsored by UC Davis Children's Hospital.